Today's scripture is from John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Even though he did so many signs in front of them, they still didn't believe into him. So the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah was fulfilled. Lord, who has really believed what they have heard from us? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they couldn't believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and these words referred to him. Despite this, even many of the authorities believed into him, but out of fear of the Pharisees, they didn't admit it. So they wouldn't get kicked out of the synagogue because they loved man-given glory more than glory from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes into me, believes not into me, but into him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes into me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, because of this text today, I, I, I'm going to, I want to call out to God right now again for myself and for you. Dear, let's pray. Dear Father, um, let us all as hearers of your word and me as I uh, exegete it and speak about it, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that do understand, because if you don't, then we fear your judgments Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit now to be present in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how, whether you've kept up on uh, near-death experiences. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the stuff. Uh, it's a pretty common story in our culture. You familiar with what I'm talking about? near-death experiences. Right? There's, there's been a variety of them, and, and uh, there's been actually a, a large number of them. And usually, um, time and again, there are claims to have met and spoken with Jesus. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've heard this kind of stuff. And have you, Has anybody have you heard this kind of stuff? And usually there's different messages. Sometimes the messages are kind of friendly and, and more heartwarming. Sometimes the messages are, oh, believe in me, believe in the Buddha, believe in anything you want. We all need to love each other and get along. Uh, sometimes the messages are just warmth and light and good feeling. Sometimes just, but they never, ever, not one of them that I've ever heard, not one, one report that we have received in this generation sounds anything like the reports that come from our Bible. Oh yeah, the near-death experience, where that, that transcendent experience happens in the scripture too, where people are come to meet Jesus. And it is never warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it is never uh, without fear. It is never without a sense of dread even and collapse in the presence of God. What I'm going to entertain for you is that stop trusting the reports of men and women 
about having met Jesus. Stop listening to them. Stop giving them any countenance at all unless they start sounding like our Bibles, like our scriptures. Trust the scripture. Uh, because in this text, uh, uh, John refers to something. John refers to something. He refers to Isaiah's vision. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. And what is he speaking of? Oh, I know what he's talking about. Some of you do. He's talking about Isaiah 6. When this man, Isaiah, was a prophet. Prophets were preachers in the Old Testament. They were the ones calling the people of God to worship God and leave their idols and leave their sin. And so Isaiah is one of the greatest of all the prophets. He writes 60 chapters of some of the most beautiful poetics that have happened in, in our entire Western literary tradition. That's how good it is. Isaiah 40 is that good. Now, as he, when he was commissioned, they call it the commissioning sometimes, there's a moment where he sees God in the temple. He sees God in the temple. And he's so careful to make sure you understand that there's a date in the year that King Uzziah died. He makes sure you understand this isn't a fantasy. This isn't a, an emotional experience. This is an historical reality that John is referring to when he talks about Isaiah seeing the glory of God. Now, uh, so Isaiah, all that happens, and he comes to the temple, and he sees it. He sees it. High and lifted up. One who he can barely even see, and the, with an incandescent glory, uh, like a, imagine like a, shining, like a shining fog. Sometimes you'll see that in San Francisco, coming over the mountain. Like a shining fog around him, filling the temple. And he sees four beings. Praising God, four, four angelic creatures that are alien and terrifying and monstrous and beautiful. And these four creatures of unimaginable power and might and intelligence stand before God saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is filled with his glory. And then one says to the other, holy, holy, holy. And they keep saying it back and forth back and forth as they behold the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. But how does Isaiah, he sees that, he freaks out. And does anybody remember how Isaiah responds? He falls at his feet as though dead. And he says, I'm done. I'm done. No man sees God and lives. He knows in scripture he knows he's a sinner, a man with an unclean mouth, with a bunch of he lives in a bunch of people who are as unclean as he is. Wow. Very, very, that's what John's referring to. And this text here, the blinding of their hearts and hardening of their hearts, the blinding of their eyes and hardening of their hearts, that's from that Isaiah 6 passage. That happens there too. <sighs> so what I want to do today is we're going to look at the judgment of God here, and we're going to ask for eyes of faith. Because if you don't have eyes of faith, the judgment of God will be this. You're not going to see his glory. The judgment of God will be this. Your eyes will be closed like this. You'll be sitting here. This is you the whole time. Or it could be me. It could be any of us. Hardened hearts inside. Unability to apprehend, perceive, glance, look. So we're going to look at the judgments of God. We're going to ask ourselves, do we have eyes of faith alive? And if we have eyes of faith do those eyes of faith turn into hands and feet of love? So this is vital for us. This is vital because this text goes down to this. I know that his commandment is what? Eternal life. 
Christ came not only that we would know him and be freed of sin, but that we would go and we'd bear fruit ourselves, fruit of holiness in life. Oh, don't really, don't think that I, I don't think that I've ever preached on this text, not in this particular fashion. And I doubt you will ever hear a sermon about this in San Francisco again. It's very, it's just not something you're gonna, even this modern world, San Francisco is not anything special there. Most people don't like this teaching. So let's, let's, let's go towards it. Let's not be afraid of it because it is our, is our Father's word. Let us behold first the judgments of God. What is the judgment of God? Now, Christ says that a judgment's coming, a judgment from his word. But even more so, there's a judgment happening here already. Did you see it? There's a judgment happening already. And what is that judgment? What is the material, manifest, immediate, visual judgment of God? People don't believe that Jesus died for their sins. Just like that simple. They can't see it, perceive it, or act upon it. That is judgment. Now, that reason this is kind of a, this can be, a, in a sense, a very, a very chilling and frightening thing for us to see or understand or perceive or hear. But the scriptures are kind of unapologetic in the way they present it. You'll notice he is blind, he is hardened. Otherwise, they might see. There's almost something actively personal in the judgments of God. Now, as a preacher, as a pastor, I'm going to plant a church and I want you all to like me and like our church, right? We well, ain't going to like this. Because I don't know how you like this. I don't. I think Jesus can help you like it. I'll help you love him in it. But these are, these are the judgments of God. It's funny. In this, in this generation, we'll look at, we'll look at a, a community. Let's say we'll pick on the gay community. Or we'll pick on a liberal community. Or, some, or we'll pick on some, uh, some community. that we, Any community we think is morally inferior to us. And we'll, we'll point at their sins and say, look, you know, they're going to get God's judgment. You know, God's going to come and judge them. And the scriptures never talk like that. Not like that. That's not, that's not our role. That's not our place. We're, we haven't been given that authority or that insight or that kind of, we can't speak like that. We'll see a little more why later, I think. But, but uh, what we forget is that, that the places those communities are right now is judgment. You get it? Uh, I can push this even a little further, and, and I hope it'll be tender here. But if you lack a passion for Christ that will not give him everything, you might be experiencing judgment. And you might sit here and go, I don't get it. I don't understand you. I don't understand this. Oh, no, I know. I know. I've, had, I've railed against this text before. But you might, you hear, you see why I don't want to talk? You might be under judgment now. And that's why you're bristling. I don't know. I've bristled before. God doesn't only judge here, does he? Now, there's a lot of tenderness in this text. We're gonna, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the text. We're going through the text. We're going to keep going back to, to Isaiah. Anybody, anybody uncomfortable yet? Anybody feeling, feeling it? I think there's four, there's four sinful responses to this teaching of the judgment of God. And the first one is this. And the one, I think it's the best one, the very best response is if you get ticked. You know why? Because you at least, that means you get it. <laughs> In other words, the person who sees this and takes umbrage that God would blind or harden, at least, at least in that moment, you're feeling something. 
Does that make sense? God, Christ honors this. Christ says of one group, I wish you were hot or cold. Why? Because God, Christ doesn't mind dealing with heat or cold because at least it's authentic. <laughs> at least it's honest. At least the umbrage and the outrage is personal and you're taking it personally. Well, then go. Go and rail at God. I'm encouraging you. Go and rail at God. Better men than you and I have done it. <laughs> Better women. And he has answers for you in it. What's the second response? This is the response of typical Christian. <laughs> well, too bad for them. Oh, well. Gee, I, I read stuff like this, Chris. I shake it off. Too bad for them. Too bad. Yeah, there are people out there get blind and hardened. If you ask me, they deserve it. You know what they're doing out there? They're evil. Of course God's blinding and hardened. What's the second group? Well, the second group takes God's judgments and says, I'm good with those judgments. I want to add to them. I don't care. There's no compassion. No fear is alarmed. No, no alarm comes up. No bell goes off. It's us versus them. It's Christ as a tool for my, my political party or my church to be bigger or my, my will to be exerted in the world. Christ serves me and he better darn well serve me. He served those apostles, didn't he? Let him wash my feet too because I... I'm a champion of his judgments. <laughs> People talk like this. This second sinful response is what I would call the demonic version of Christian spirituality. It's a demonic spirituality that masquerading as a son of light. Jesus is not about joy over consigning people to judgment. And if you sat here today, if you sit in any sermon at any time in your life and think about somebody else who should be listening to it, you better believe Jesus is probably talking to you right then. <laughs> Does that make sense? The minute you find somebody else, when you take, whenever, the minute sin's outside of you and somebody else, and you're not dealing with the sin in you, you're on the wrong track. You're no longer living in the eyes of faith. What's the third response? Futility. <laughs> Futility. Uh, and some of you get here, some of you get in here, uh, uh, sometimes it's like, well, Chris, I, I can't understand it. I've tried. You're going to sit here and talk to me about it. I don't like it. I don't know what to do with it. But in, in the end, I don't care. I'm going to choose apathy because this hurts. This scares me. I'd rather not feel anything than feel passionate about people that God is judging. I would rather opt to go and do my work and live my life and have my wealth and do my thing. Leave me alone because that, uh, I don't want a burden for people. If I have a burden for people, I might lose my, my ability to go and do whatever I want. Don't, don't stay back. Just keep your theology in a box for me, will you? That's the third response. Have you seen that one? This is one of the most common responses in the Christian world. Don't mess with what I've got going on with talk like this. And what's the fourth response? This is the worst of them all, I think. Oh, it, it doesn't really mean that. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is the next one. Oh, there's got to be some way we could... Oh, this is Old Testament. Oh, this, this refers to some... Oh, this is... This is making, oh no, you, you misunderstood. This is, we just, this is really not, this is really a, an ancient worldview that we have gotten better than now. We have a richer idea of grace now. God's here to love and save everybody. We don't have to world. Doesn't it say here that he was here to save 
the world, the so-so, the cosmos, to save everything? Well, wasn't he supposed to do that? And what they do is, is they take this teaching and they want to blunt it by saying it's located in some sort of sociological phenomena and interracial hatred of the ancient world. But bear with me here. That teaching is right out of hell. Doesn't understand God. It has no eyes of faith. And while it sounds articulate and intelligent and it means to somehow dumb down the glory of God, the judgments of God, and most importantly, oh, the treasure of eyes of faith. I think there's something here when John says he hid himself right there. I don't think that that little narrative note, he hid himself, is accidental. If you say he hid himself, again, what is here? He's hidden. It doesn't matter who it goes to. By the way, who is this addressed to? Who is Isaiah talking to? Who gets this message about this truth of God blinding the eyes of people? Who gets that truth? Who is it? Who receives it? Christians do, or the religious do. Not the world. And today is not evangelistic. Sometimes you'll tell me, say this is, these are evangelistic messages. This will have an evangelistic piece to it. But really, this is a message to those who claim they know Christ. Because that's who it's addressed to. That's who Isaiah was speaking to. It's who John turns to talk to here. This is not talking to the people outside. This is now an inside conversation. And in fact, this here, 44 and following, is the last time Christ speaks publicly. After this, it's all to his disciples. This is the close of his public ministry here. He's shutting it down. The Greeks have come to ask where he is. The time has come, he said, I'm about to be glorified. And, and, then, and then John puts this commentary in here. Now you'll notice though, that many that they still didn't believe into him in verse 37, and then some had believed, but for fear of the fraud, they loved man giving glory more than glory from God. That, that there was, uh, it, it, it is actually being said to and about people who are, who are, uh, <laughs> who are already, it's already hidden from. There's, someone wanted to kind of grab it. I was trying to figure out, there's a reason I put this note up here. And, let me, let me think about it for one, just one second. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. So you, I want you to see one important antithesis as, as we look at the judgments of God, and then I'll be done with the judgments of God. What provokes the judgments of God in this? And it, it almost seems like a special way. This right here. And this, this is San Francisco. This is the mantra of San Francisco. San Francisco is built on this premise. You go for the man, glory of man. The glory of man, it fuels the tech industry. It fuels, it fuels everything. They love man giving glory more than glory from God. If there's any cause and effect here, what is this, create, what is this created by? I'm sorry. This. This. When you love man's glory more than the glory that comes from God. When you are given to the advancement of your career above all things and the self-promotion of your name and your brand. Can you, if that, look, if, if your name and your brand and your glory and your self-seeking advancement brings about this judgment of hardness and blindness that's here alive in this text, how blind is this city? Ask yourself that. How blindness, how deep is the blindness around us? What do we need? Oh, Father, 
Oh, Father, we need eyes of faith. Even back in uh, the, the quote from Isaiah, God said to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep listening, but you won't get it. Keep watching, but you won't really see it. Making this, of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they will see with their eyes and hear with their ears. This is what the glory of God produces. Now, what do eyes of faith look like? Because we need eyes of faith. Oh, the eyes of faith see through the text a bit. Because Christ stands here with this terrible judgment saying what? I've come to heal. I'm, I'm here to heal. And what? To save. And by the word, wait, the word there, world, I translated it cosmos in one of my translations that I must have not gotten into the, I feel stupid about that, but because cosmos, it's the word. It's actually the word, Greek word, cosmos. That's actually the word. Transliteration, cosmos. It's the universe. He's saving the universe. What is it? What is he bringing at the end? Eternal life. This isn't his judgments. And, and how do we get there? Believing into him, believing into him. And there's this wonderful invitation to all that he is. So first of all, what do the eyes of faith do when they hear this? What do they? And their alarm. Well, then heal my blindness and my, heal that then. And the eyes of faith cannot be, in ways, eyes of faith receive judgment and simply return it back and say, then show me mercy. Then show me mercy. Then show me mercy. Equal to your, greater than your judgments. Then show me mercy. The healing of the cosmos. Everything. <laughs> That's incredible. In other words, his aim, his goal, his purpose, his power is to do something greater than you have ever imagined. Even the telescopes cannot see far enough to see how big his grace is because his grace is bigger and larger and more eternal than the span of the universe. Oh, praise him. Eyes of faith. Father, give us eyes of faith. Oh, Father. We need eyes, what, but it's interesting. What do eyes of faith do? Something very beautiful. They acknowledge first who they are and that Jesus Christ is a sacrifice for sin. John said that when, when, when Isaiah saw God, he saw the glory of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because when he saw God, what did he say? This is bad. I'm going to die because I'm a man with an unclean mouth and unclean mouth and I live in a community of unclean mouth, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand that he had had with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, look, this touched your mouth. Your guilt is gone, and your sin is paid for. Who is that about? It's about Jesus on the cross, dying as a substitute for sinners. So, do you, are you catching with the, how the eyes of faith come? Do you catch how the eyes of faith come? How does Isaiah get the eyes of faith, guys? He humbles himself. And when he humbles himself, who does he see? Who does he see? Who does he meet? When he says he knows who he is, who does he meet? Who comes to touch him? An angel with a coal from the altar. The altar is the cross. Forgiveness comes and forgiveness and grace flow to the lowest points. And at the lowest point in your life is where you will experience the most grace. It's like this over and over again. As you get to low points even, the eyes of faith are opened by the grace of humility. I'm a sinner. I, 
I don't belong here, Father. Oh, no, no, my son. You do belong here. You're my son. Christ's blood is enough to save you. Oh. At this moment, as you see the judgments of God, I want you to see them for what they are. They are a judgment on our arrogance. We have lived our lives without him. We have demanded our careers and our success for ourselves. We have lived in advancement. How do you get eyes of faith? <gasps> Father, I'm just like these people. And that's what's so amazing. You see, I'm just like the people of San Francisco. You think I'm not ambitious? I'm a church planter for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? Think I came out here to plant a small church? Or to have some small, no. No, because I fall prey to all the same things. A desire to glorify myself, advance, market, make the brand, make the choice. Every temptation that's in you is available to me as a pastor. And the problem is, when I do it, it's just worse. Because judgment on me is I'm supposed to understand the gospel. And I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be the first one on my face. I'm supposed to lead you on my face saying, Father, I confess, and I do, I confess again and again the crime of my heart that I would use anybody I love, and that's you for myself. I'm so sorry. I repent. I repent of using my Savior. And I praise him because the altar, the coal has touched my limbs. And I know forgiveness at the cross in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for sinners. Praise him. I said this was an evangelistic message. I guess it is. But again, I want you to see something here. Um, that's not it. I, I want to, the eyes of faith do something else too. Something else happens to them. They see something about this. <gasps> Read Psalm 1. Has this ever, have you ever read this text and been confused by it? <laughs> I've always thought it was a strange one. It's a weird turn of, it's a weird logic to this. Hey God, you're the one that forgives. That's why we're so scared. Oh, well, what? That doesn't seem to make any logical sense, does it? I mean, it doesn't, until, until you realize that the forgiveness that he gives is sovereignly given. It's given as a gift. And then I'll say like, oh, wait, it can't be earned. And that's, that kind of, oh my goodness, that means I just have to receive it. Oh, wait, and then, then oh, I've realized I, I'm doing business with God at a heart level. I'm not, I cannot producing or creating anything to earn that. And then I'm knowing grace for the first time. I'm beginning to leave and realize and now you begin, if you begin to see it, when you begin to see how free and abundant and free his love is, now you understand why he's so judgmental about those who take his truth and make it into something they can lord it over people with. You begin to see why he's offended more and more deeply. Because when we betray the riches and abundance of his love and grace, we cheat everybody, even ourselves. We no longer see him as his glory, in his glory. And we no longer see ourselves in our sin. And our eyes of faith are dimmed. Let the Lord, I don't want that to happen anymore. But, okay, something else happens though. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling right here. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you hear this? The sovereign God, the sovereign judge, the sovereign God who elects and chooses to harden and blind does also does what? He chooses and elects to open and raise up and heal. Praise him. You see, I don't have any way of doing, I don't have any way of talking about God without just putting him in front of you and saying, choose this day which way you will go. 
Choose which way this day, whether you will believe in the grace of Jesus or you will live for yourself. There's no other choice to be made. One leads to judgment and, and death. One leads to life. But this even gets better because you say, all right, so I presented to you a problem, the judgments of God. And the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith see, and see even in those judgments the salvation of the cosmos and the rescue from their sin. And they come humbly and they're received with healing. Praise him. But something else happens. Even more than that, become, we become a people of love. What is, what is the response that he has? How does Isaiah process with eyes of faith this terrible story? Here I am, send me. How long, O oh Lord? He begins to what? He's available and he's pleading. Available and pleading. My dearest, my dear beloved children, God, are you available to this God and pleading? Available and pleading, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit's in us, as this truth becomes vibrant to us, as eyes of faith open, what happens? We become available, surrendered and available, and pleading. Now, how long for San Francisco? How long for my mom? How long for my kids? How long for my dad? How long for everybody that I love? Okay. The eyes of faith even deeper. They see even more than that. In John 12, and John's a weird book. I understand that. Maybe that's why it's the perfect book for me to preach from. But you'll notice John does not have a lot of ethical teaching. Have you noticed that? Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain Christ's ethical teaching robustly, where Christ teaches, unless you unless the seed falls to the ground and dies. But John does here in this text, in John 12, Christ announces his moral mandate. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If any, and, and so what does it mean to, to love your life and uh, to, to hate your life, I'm sorry, is to serve him, right? If anyone serves me, he must also what? Follow me, serve me, and the Father will honor him. What does the life of love look like then that God is creating and that creates even more Softness of heart and the eyes that see. What is it? It's loving to the point of death for everybody. You're called to die for everybody. You're called to die for your wife. Your wife's called to die for your husband. You're called to die for me. I'm called to die for you. And what does this mean? What is the mystery here? What does this all mean? You know, it's interesting here in Philippians. We come here to this text, which I think is the most important text for sanctification in the New Testament. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to wealth the will and to work for his good pleasure. You are in the presence of a sovereign God. How do you activate this God? You work out your salvation with fear. What does that look like? Ah, oh, it's this sacrificial self, self-denying love. What's that look like? Are you ready to hear this? Are you ready now? I'm serious. We, I, do you understand where we began? God's judgments are active in San Francisco in this room. Without doubt. Sorry, I hate to say it. It's real. That judgment is a refusal to come before Jesus and say, I'm a sinner and humble ourselves before grace. Now, when the eyes open, how do they open? And what are they open to? They are, your eyes will get more and more open 
the more you die to yourself. Do you know that? That's how we grow in grace. As we become, a, as we become more and more like Christ for him and for his glory and for each other. Watch. Watch how Christ now paints a picture of living love. In Philippians, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, from love, Christ's love, any participation in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same mind as Christ and one another. Having what? The same love. Yes. Being in full accord and of one mind. That's great right there. But then how does this look? How does the, what's the dying look like? Giving up your own ambitions. See that? You see, Christ is, is, in a, is in a collision course with your ambitions and mine all the time. Why? Because he's saving us from our ambitions. <laughs> because our ambitions are death to us. They're, they're, they're poison. They're things we believe that will save us and help us and, and give us life, but they won't. In humility, what? What does this look like when you're dying to yourself with love? You consider others more important than yourself. This is in a collision course with self-advancement at all costs and self-promotion as your primary job. Now, what, now, be honest with me. You go do that at work, you're going to die, aren't you? They're going to tear you to pieces, guys. Amen. Amen. They tore him to pieces. But more happens here. More splendor. More joy, because what Christ does, as we, as, we, as we follow him in the form of a servant humbling ourselves, Christ was exalted. And let me tell you something. Even as we die, we find ourselves being given new life, over and splendorous, wonderful new life. And this is the wonderful thing in Christ, is that, you know, I give him all, and who knows what I'll get in return, because I know I have eternal life for him and his glory. And I just give up these things. I give up these ambitions. I give up the, the power and the, perig- the prerogative and the privilege that I seek and, and the, the things I want and the special admission into certain clubs or, or to be able to do certain things that other people can't have things and all these things I can have and people will see me and envy me and whatever it is you're into, whatever trip gets you grooved, right? And gets you, gets you feeling good about yourself. All that stuff. When I give that up, I'm free. And then I find Christ gives me back more than I had to begin with anyway. This isn't amazing. He just like, he just, I sit there, you know, Peter was a fisherman. And the last time I met Jesus, there was too much fish to push in to pull into the boat. He had given up fishing. <laughs> and then when he went back to it, Jesus knocked his socks off with a blessing in it. And he became a fisher of men. Remember that? Remember, remember, remember the net he couldn't pull up? Christ honestly returns to us the very things we give up. Praise him. And if he didn't give them back to them, praise him anyway. Because they weren't of any use to us anyhow. What am I, what am I, so today, today, I guess, uh, it was, somebody asked me, huh? I gave the elevator pitch for this message to somebody last night, and they're like, oh, I'll go and listen to it. So if you're listening, Stephanie, I hope it makes sense. But, but, uh, but uh, look, I present to you, as, as Jesus himself did, and John did, and Isaiah did, the judgments of a holy God. They cannot be resisted. You may rail against them and hate them. You may ignore them. But they are real. What shall we do, Father? What shall we do in the face of a judgment that locks us out of even seeing him? We're going to humble ourselves. 
More, I mean humble yourself more deeply than you ever have before. Why? 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 Because as we humble, and die, humble ourselves and die, both to him and to one another, as we die and surrender ourselves for him and for one another, we're being promised eternal life. He's rescued the whole freaking cosmos, guys. Everything. He's going to return more to you than you probably ever, you ever deserved. He did to me. And you're going to do it again. And you're going to die every day. And this is, becomes a routine. And what I'm presenting for you is not even a decision you just make now. But it's a decision you're going to have to make Tuesday. Right? You're going to have to make these. That's why he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Because this battle, this, this fight, this fight is, uh, is what we're supposed to be fighting. I'm going to leave you with this and as encouragement. If you were alarmed today, take great courage. Because that means you're not blind. And your heart hasn't yet been hardened. You see? You see, if you're beginning to be like, oh, Chris, why? That's why it's there. It's meant to provoke the believers to go, oh, Jesus, please. It provokes the believers. Every one of us, it provokes us. If we truly know Christ, we're right there at the table. We're right there at the table, aren't we? You know this is the Holy Spirit. When you hear this teaching and you go, what? Surely not I, Lord. Wait, that's not me you're talking about, is it? And if you have that spirit today in you, take great courage about your journey of faith and your eyes of faith. Because that means the Holy Spirit's rustling around there inside you somewhere, making you see and know and want and hunger for something more. Praise him. Let's go to, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we worship you and thank you and praise you that you love us. As Isaiah said, how unsearchable are your judgments. Your ways beyond searching out. We, we have who's knowing the mind of the Lord that we're going to be your counselor. Who's going to give you advice? How are we going to counsel you about what you do with our hearts or our eyes or our minds or our wills? Ah, but we haven't come to, we can't be your counselor, Father. But we know somebody who can. We know the one who died for us. We're going to the one who fulfilled your law of love for us, your own son. And let, for Father, we don't want his sacrifice to be in vain. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come to take that sacrifice and apply it to our hearts. If there's an unbelieving heart today, let it today, let that person today cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. And all of us together as we wrestle with these ideas, am I blind? I fear it. Am I, Father, let your Holy Spirit now. Comfort us with grace. That you came to save not just San Francisco, not America, not Palestine, not the ends of the earth. No, you came to heal and rescue the cosmos. I will praise you forever. If that included me. In Jesus' name, amen.